Hi, everyone. This is America Adapts, the climate change podcast. Hey, adapters. Yes, I hope you will get inspired by this episode. In today's show, I have on Kate Bishop-Williams, a lecturer and PhD student at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada. Kate has a great story, but I need to give a little context here. Kate reached out to me and shared that she used one of my episodes for an assignment for her 175 students in her public health lecture course. I was obviously very intrigued by what she did and decided I need to have her on the podcast to explain. In a nutshell, Kate used the podcast to help her students gain valuable skills in communicating climate change. Kate talks about this, but also about the value of podcasts in general in explaining complex subjects. Kate goes into detail how she developed guidelines for her students on how to use the pod class in this class assignment. Kate is great, and I'll leave it there. She'll explain better. I also invited two of her students on to briefly talk about the assignment and what they learned about climate communication. In case you aren't familiar with the episode she shared in her class, it's episode 47, Deconstructing a Climate Skeptic. This is a conversation I had with Mark Morano, a famous, or more appropriately, an infamous climate skeptic who has worked with Rush Limbaugh, Senator Inhofe, and now runs his own climate skeptic website. He came on my podcast not to debate climate change, but to tell me about his motivations. And then, science communication expert Randy Olson came on to discuss with me what Mark said. It was a fascinating exercise, and it's overwhelmingly been the most popular podcast I've ever done. It's a chance to go behind the scenes inside the mind of a climate skeptic. I'll get into more detail with Kate, but I'm very excited about our conversation because of Kate's innovative use of a podcast in her class curricula. I hope other educators are inspired by her work, and I hope it's not just classroom educators who benefit from her experience. Professionals could benefit too. All too often, we rely on webinars, presentations, and reports and training employees. I hope people are inspired to give podcasts an opportunity to provide a more conversational approach to teach complex topics. And I don't just mean climate change topics either. Okay, some housekeeping before we get started. I've mentioned before, but if you have Alexa, you can now listen to America Daps on Alexa. In my show notes, there is a video that shows you how to do that. I just got back from Australia. What an amazing trip. I was asked to give the keynote presentation by the Victoria State Government in Melbourne at their Adaptation Sector Summit. It was a blast and I really enjoyed connecting with Australian adaptation professionals. My speech was entitled, Adaptation, The Greatest Story Never Told. I shared my experiences on the podcast, but also challenged the participants to make adaptation more exciting when they communicated. It's been too wonky. It was a well-received message and one I hope to do frequently. And yes, if you're looking for a speaker at conferences or even corporate events, please do reach out. And thanks to Mitchell and the Victoria State Government for sponsoring me to come down. I also spent the next few days recording with people and should have an Australia-themed episode out soon. They are doing some amazing work in Australia, especially at the local government level. And quickly, I got to meet in person Johanna Nalau, the host of Australia Daps, and that's been on my show, if you recall, from last year. Johanna is great, was awesome getting to hang with her in person. All right, upcoming episodes. It's been a little slow. I've been doing a bit of traveling, but in the next couple of months, it's, it's a packed schedule. I have on Climate Change Communicator, Susan. Zan Moser, along with folks from the Kresge Foundation. I'm also doing a three-part flood-themed series with World Wildlife Fund, and I'm talking with Jupiter, a private company doing disaster risk modeling. And I have an episode on public health and climate change. 
that's a lot. Okay, and now this is very cool. For you DC adapters, I'm doing a live recording with previous guest Elizabeth Rush at Solid State Books in Washington, D.C. on June 14th, 7 to 8 p.m. There are more details in the show notes. This will be a lot of fun. She's on a book tour for her book, Rising. I'll ask her some questions, we'll have some fun, and she will take questions from the audience. Come on out and meet Elizabeth. All right, just a reminder, America Adapts is a charitable organization that needs your support. I mean it. Please consider giving a tax-deductible donation. You can find links to the We Did It Donate page in my show notes. Also, if you are interested in sponsoring a specific podcast or having me speak at a public or corporate event, please contact me at americadapts.org. Okay, let's get started with Kate Bishop-Williams from the University of Waterloo. I want to hear a bit about your story. I really thought it was cool what you did, and I want to know a little bit more about that. As hopefully, I created this podcast, and I like to think it's a pretty substantive podcast, and the fact that you used it in the classroom, to me, that's all right. There's some proof. There's a metric. And so I want to learn more about that. And quite frankly, I think others would benefit from us kind of walking through. It's like, hey, maybe not just America Daps, but maybe there's other science podcasts that there's – professors, lecturers, even high school teachers that could say, you know what, this is a real learning tool. And I've actually seen some, a little bit of literature about audio learning and some of the podcasts that it just resonates with people. They, their minds work a certain way with the audio and they retain the information better. So I, that's sort of like my noble goal. There's obviously my own selfish desires of like, okay, gosh, you guys listen to this Murano episode. And well, you know, I guess just tell me that. Uh, first off, just how did you find the podcast, and then how did you decide you wanted to use it in the classroom, and then how did you pick the Morano one? I started listening to your podcast early in the fall of last year and was sort of working backwards through some of the episodes that I had missed up until that point. I, I spent quite a bit of time in my vehicle getting back and forth to the university because I don't live in town anymore. And so I had asked some friends about sort of recommendations for podcasts, and someone had recommended America Adapts, and then from getting into the podcast, I started working backwards through some of those episodes. And then what had happened was, as I had started planning for this course, all of the time that I had sort of spent thinking about what assignments make sense, how to sort of get some of that information across to students, it happened to be the right time that that episode sort of came up in my playlist. And so I worked through that episode and started asking myself questions about, okay, is there something here that's going to answer a question that the students are already going to have. And what I really found was that part of what I wanted to design into the course was an understanding of what climate change is. But then one of my personal goals for these students was that they'd be able to go out and be advocates for environmental change and for seeing some of the progress. And so to be able to set them up for that, I felt like it was really important for them to, number one, know that the scale of skepticism is still so much larger than what I think they've often recognized. And that was a comment that I got from a lot of students was that they didn't actually know this was that big of an issue still. They sort of thought that everyone was on the same page and they could sort of progress from there accordingly. So I thought that it was really important for them to, number one, understand the scale of the uh, the problem. But then the other thing was just how do you actually communicate that to them, that this is still a problem? And then once they recognize that it's a problem, how do you teach them to effectively have the conversations that they need to be having to shift views of, of those skeptics that they come into contact with in the future. So I was trying to sort of design the course, not just with sort of the 
the course objectives in mind, but some personal objectives for them, like being able to walk into an interview and say, I actually know how to communicate with someone who doesn't understand climate change. And I can sort of have those, uh, those conversations into the future. So trying to sort of build in some of those personal objectives that would prepare them for future advocacy work and employment, I think was really sort of how that all kind of came about. But you kind of went through that mental process after you listened to that particular episode and you're like, okay, you know what? I want to bring this into the, that's the kind of timing of it all. How did it kind of do you have you done used a podcast before, though, in the classroom? So this is my first time teaching a full course. Okay. Uh, so I this was my first time getting to develop a course from scratch, my first time developing all the assignment outlines from scratch, that sort of thing. I had spent quite a, a lot of time uh, in my master's and earlier in my PhD working as a teaching assistant and having a chance to, to have some feedback and some opportunities to sort of be a part of the development of course outlines. But this was the first time that I got to really do that by myself from scratch. And so as an advocate for scholarship of teaching and learning, as an advocate for open access, and then sort of having all of these personal objectives in mind for what I wanted them to get out of the course long term. That was sort of the three pieces working together is how I ended up developing the assignment around that that podcast episode. But I mean, have you seen a, another professor use a podcast before? No, no, I haven't seen Gee, another. This is this is great. It's fresh blood. You're a new teacher instructor. And just there must have been a moment, though, because, again, this is my, my there's my own self-interest here is that podcast. Quite a few people don't even know what a podcast is, which is kind of depressing to me. But I, I, I get it. It's a generational thing to a certain extent. But as you listen, you listen to other podcasts, I assume, besides America Adapts, right? I mean, you have your, uh, probably a list. That's how people sort of work. You know, were you at all concerned that, oh, this is just a bit of entertainment that I'm bringing into the classroom? I wasn't. So I mentioned that I've, I've done some research and some work in scholarship of teaching and learning. And one of the things that I've seen work really well in classrooms was using video content. And so this to me just seemed like a, a natural extension of that sort of video content. I follow the YouTube channel of Catherine Hayhoe, Global Weirding. And so I used her videos a couple times uh, in the in the classroom uh, just to sort of build in some of those relief moments from the 80 minutes of lecture style. So to try and build in some of that active learning there sort of built on that um, and just looking for some innovative ideas and ways for these students to be evaluated. Um, I ended up not giving an exam in the course at all as a midterm or as a final. And so I needed some pretty substantive assignments that would really give them the opportunity to show me that they were thinking about the material and reflecting on it more deeply. Okay, so the course itself is, is it's similar to U.S. where it's, it's a semester-long course that the students are in these Undergrad students, they're undergrad students. Yes. Okay. Yeah, third year undergrad. Third year undergrad. So, did, was this the first time that most of them had used a podcast in a university setting? Yeah, I didn't come across anyone uh, with their feedback that they had given me um, on the assignment that had any ever done anything that sort of reflected a podcast. Some of them had done reflections before, but even as a reflection, I think this was a more formal application of the reflection process than they were used to as well. Okay, and so you had them write a, basically a one-page summary of listening to the podcast, and I, I should have looked at that before our conversation, but where did you come about the structure of the outline? Did you kind of listen to the episode, and was there existing ways that you kind of think about things, or did you just randomly kind of say, you know what, this is what I want them to cover? How did that work? 
So I actually stressed to them that I didn't want it to just be a summary of the material because I could go listen to the podcast myself or they could ask others to go listen to the podcast themselves. So I wanted them to give a brief summary, a paragraph or so about the content of the, uh, the episode. But what I really wanted them to do was think a little bit more personally about how this actually had, uh, had space to impact their lives, uh, longer term. So either, uh, in their personal life, if they have uh, regular interaction with someone who identifies as a climate skeptic, that they might be more uh, more equipped to have conversations with those individuals that might be uh, more fruitful long term. Uh, and that was part of the inspiration for me is that I do have uh, some people in my life who um, are very aware of the fact that I do climate change research as a professional sort of career but don't identify as believers in climate change or don't have a good concept of understanding of that. So they could either reflect on it personally on how interactions with someone in their personal life were affected by understanding this content, or they could reflect on it into the future. How could they use understanding this material as they prepared for jobs in public health? Cause most of them are getting ready to sort of head into the job field within the next year or so. So they had two opportunities to think about how to reflect and use that material long term. Oh, that's awesome. So you had this one pager and I looked over the ones that you shared with me and, you know, it was just a real treat to kind of get in their heads and how they interpreted that episode. Because when I first did that episode, it was I was nervous to release it. I was just, OK, <laughs> what are people going to think? Mark Miranda, this guy is a villain and he came off as just a lovely guy you want to have a beer with. But he's a villain, darn it. I mean, and he, he does awful things and. He's just mudding the waters, and I was a little nervous that coming out, but with Randy Olson coming on at the end, I mean, we purposely, Randy and I plotted over that episode and just, we'll let Mark come and <laughs> spew what he does. But again, the goal was, what's his motivation? What's that background versus just, you know, don't debate climate change? And then Randy came on and really dissected it. And I, I guess you are a manifestation of the thought that we put into that episode that, you know, it wasn't just, oh, let's have a conversation kind of thing. It's we want people to get something out of it. We want them to learn from this guy. And you did. And the fact that you had these students dissect it, did did students approach you as they were writing this? Did they have questions or did they kind of seize the assignment and kind of, you know, they were done? Did, did they need to kind of touch base with you? Students had questions, and I had 170 students, so students always Gosh, have questions. When you have 170 students, it always feels like there's a lot of questions on everything. Um, but with that in mind, most of them had less questions to do with the content and were a little bit concerned about how to write a reflection. I think that it's um, outside of the realm of some of the sort of traditional activities that we ask our students to do on a more regular basis. And so they had concerns about things like writing in first person or really integrating their own personal thoughts and um, feelings into that paper. And so I think a lot of the conversations that I had that were sort of questions pre-assignment were more about that. But I had a lot of conversations with students after the assignment about it as well. Okay, so what were some of those? What were they? So most of them were really excited. Uh, students really enjoyed spending the time listening to it. Uh, students felt like it was a good opportunity to be able to share that information with someone else and pass along the link to the podcast or something else. Excellent. Um, <laughs> go yeah. on. Excellent. Uh, but go yeah. on. 
Uh, but the most exciting one was, um, so my students submitted their final assignment last week and I had got an email after someone had submitted their final assignment, just saying thanks for the course and really enjoyed it. And this student happens to be one of the ones that I passed along to you that we mentioned there are a few skeptics in the class. This student actually mentioned to me that in combination between that assignment and sort of the rest of the course material over those 12 weeks, that their larger life views, as they called it, um, had actually changed and shifted and uh, their opinions on climate science had had shifted toward the direction of really sort of following the science long term, which was really exciting. Oh, wow. Well, congratulations. That's you. That's on you as their instructor, taking them through that journey. And uh, I, I feel great that I could play any small role in that. But that's, you know, you, you give people some information, I think, in a safe setting. Most people, not everyone, but most people, <laughs> Ikshnay on the White House, Nay, are open to information. So that's great. That must have been very satisfying for you. It was Incredibly exciting. And I actually, between this assignment and sort of the course as a whole, have gotten some fantastic feedback from students. And I've had, out of the 170, I've had five students contact me directly and say, just so you know, I've applied for a master's in this, or I've uh, sort of added a a, um, a minor onto my degree in this. Uh, and so a lot of students picking up the um, the idea of sort of environmental health and those sorts of ideas as they prepare for those roles long term. So it's pretty exciting to see the the snowball effect that this mandatory third year class has actually had on a lot of students. Well, you'd be excited to hear. I, I haven't set it up yet, but I'm going. Ha- I haven't had public health adaptation person on, but it looks like I'll have someone coming on soon to talk about that issue. So um, I'm cu- curious to get your feedback once you hear that one. Mm-hmm. All right. So they did this. I think that's utterly ridiculous that you had to grade 175. Is that what you had to do literally is read 175 assignments? So I have four TAs. Oh, okay. And yeah, what I've done is with all of them, I've checked their first quarter of the marking. So I've read about 40 to 50 of every assignment that they had. Um, and then for their final assignment, their policy brief, I read all 160 because I wanted to make sure that they were really getting every mark that they deserved. I think you shared 20, 25 with me, and I went pretty much through all of them. But it was it was a treat to kind of see what went through their head, what resonated. Uh, you know, I think Randy really stood out for, for a lot of them. I think they appreciated. You know, Randy, he's a PhD scientist, and so he he's a pro. He can come on and do these things. I'm curious though, did anyone bring up the whole Myers Briggs thing that we did with it? Because that was I was always you know that sort of you know armchair psychology. I, I haven't heard any negative feedback that, that we did that. Well, I don't know if I told you, but we had like someone who does that for a living, you know, uh, an instructor listen to Mark Morano and give us his assessment of what he think he, he is. It wasn't just me and Randy going, I think he's a RNG or whatever it is. Um, so did that come up at all with that? So it's been a while. This assignments were due probably eight or 10 weeks ago. Now I would say that it came up in two that I read, but I, like I said, I read about a quarter of them. Um, it wasn't a major theme running through uh, their commentary on them, but I think that probably that has to do with the fact that these students aren't uh, based in psychology or sociology. Some of those sort of uh, social uh, sciences that would have had maybe a bit of a, a deeper understanding of what that would have really uh, entailed and sort of what those descriptions mean. So it did come up at least in mention a couple of times, but I don't think that there was a sort of a deep analysis on whether or not that 
uh, resonated with them or how that aligns with people in their life or their own uh, personality types like that. So you're a big advocate for open access. Could you kind of just define what you mean by that? I think I know when you talk about it, but uh, what is that? Open access and open educational resources are sort of two sides of the same coin. Really, it's advocating for uh, materials that are freely available, but beyond just being freely available, uh, things like open educational resources tend to exist under what we call a Creative Commons license. Um, And those Creative Commons licenses mean that it's not just available for reuse by other people, but that it allows for uh, redistribution. It allows for editing and sort of building on those materials and really helps us to avoid reinventing the wheel with these educational resources. Um, When we think about, I don't know what it's like in the U.S., but I get the impression from people that I talk to there that it's similar. When we think about the amount of time that faculty members are spending on preparing their courses and what that's taking away from other time that they're potentially supposed to be spending on research or worse, just adding on to the amount of work that they're expected to get done in a semester. We start to realize that there's really no need for us to be reinventing the wheel again and again when this work could be then done in one year and then just updated for a different location or for information that's sort of more relevant from the the previous 12 months since things were previously taught. So having all of that information available, but then available in a form that's editable and shareable is sort of the the basis of that content and that idea. So what you've done, if there's someone out there who wants to use a podcast, doesn't have to be America Adapts, could be any subject matter. The, the, what, the work that you've done with your course, so they could look at the open access records and it would serve as a basis for them to kind of like, all right, here's a podcast on psychology. I can look at... Kate's material and help me kind of structure a a course plan? Is that how it kind of works? Yeah, so I haven't released the entire uh, course material just because the course is just starting to wrap up now, but um, through the Facebook page for the America Adapts community group and that sort of thing, I've I've shared the assignment outline specifically for this podcast. And then uh, now that the course is uh, just wrapping up, I'm going to put a Creative Commons license on that and then I can put it uh, out more openly that it can be even that much more easily accessed for other people to to build on or shift or change. Yeah. So were there any other instructors at uh, University of Waterloo that got wind of what you were doing? Was there any curiosity from other instructors? So I'm not particularly well connected in the Waterloo faculty. <laughs> that's not where that's not where I'm doing my degree. So um, I don't get the impression that anyone knows about it yet, um, other than Warren, who I've connected you with for for future years. Um, he's new faculty, and he'll be uh, planning to build on this idea for next year. And so you, you, we we had that little connection, but you chatted with him, and so he, he's he's interested in doing this again instead of replicating it. We didn't really chat about how maybe America Daps plays a role, but just in general, he, he liked the process that you went through. Yeah, he's he's really excited about potentially being able to do something like that uh, into the future. Um, he and I actually worked a little bit in developing the assignment outline. He had read it before the, the students uh, received it, that sort of thing. And because he's taking over the course next year, part of our intention was to make sure that he didn't need to reinvent the wheel. So we talked about the assignments that I was planning on developing and sort of what the value of them was for the students and making sure that, um, that assuming that things went well, which they did, 
that he could reuse a lot of those ideas and sort of just shift them and update them uh, with some of the feedback. Well, I hope you take it upon yourself. Someone's probably done this before. There's really hardly any unique ideas, but there's it's always worth being sort of an ambassador's. If you're at a conference that you package this as a presentation, because, you know, I've talked to some professors that, you know, I've interviewed and they're interested in bringing the podcast in the classroom. I did this whole California DAP series and a couple of the professors at UCLA were very interested in maybe working with some of their students on developing a podcast. But there's just not a big record of how that I mean, I think a lot of people still think, you know, you know, 80s action movie podcast. That's that's all the podcasts really are. And so what you're doing, I, you know, I just encourage you to get this down on paper and um of course that's completely self-serving for me if you mention america adapts but i'd like to think i'm a bit of an ambassador for podcasts especially the more substantive ones i've been a, kind of a mentor for some that have launched in this in the climate change round there's even one who started a fungus one and it's what's it what she what does she call it she, it's called like fungi something and it's a really clever name and i've already forgotten it but i think the more people like you get out there and kind of share this as a platform to educate others, I benefit, but I think a lot of uh, inst- uh, educators would benefit from you doing that. I-, I don't know what I'm saying here. I'm kind of lecturing you, but if next conference you go to submit that as a, like a panel idea, because I think that would be really cool. Yeah. So I've actually got it. Um, so both the university of Guelph and the university of Waterloo. So where I've been teaching and where I'm doing my uh, PhD, both have uh, graduate student teaching and learning conferences uh, coming up in the next few months. Uh, and so it's actually, it's on my radar for end of the summer to be thinking about either a poster or a presentation uh, talking about sort of how to use some of those materials and thinking about things like how do we find the ones that are appropriate for our field of study and how do we, design assignments around the existing materials so that we're not going out. And again, this concept of sort of reinventing the wheel, how do we use what's already there to make sure that we're, um, we're using it to the best of its ability or to the best of our abilities. Hey adapters, just a brief interruption here. It occurred to me after I recorded this conversation with Kate, that the following couple minutes were actually referring to Judy Oglethorpe and Ryan Bartlett from the world wildlife fund. We never did actually mention their full names, and I wanted to make that clear. So, all right, let's get back to Kate. In addition, you we we connected. I mean, well, I, I guess introduced you to Sean Martin. So, how did that that lecture went really well, right? So it went flawlessly, and I was so nervous about the technology component of that, but it <laughs> went it went so smoothly. The students were just thrilled by having the caliber of guests come from uh, from the head office of of WWF. They were um, fantastic speakers. They both gave short presentations to get things rolling and then a uh, long Q&A session. And they talked a little bit, not just about the research that they're doing, but how they got into their field and all those sorts of things. And yeah, it went great. Really, really well. Well, how did that come about again, though? Did it, how, why did Sean, who so was that? I mentioned to you in an email that I was interested in using the information that was contained within that episode That's to try right. and generate a case study for my class. And you said, well, I think they've already got some materials like that. Let me connect you. And so uh, when Sean and I started talking, he sort of suggested, well, that's all great. But instead of you developing the case study, maybe we could actually set something up for a virtual guest lecture and we could share the material that way. Yeah, they they Skyped in for that. And then in preparing for that, I've set things up now. I'm heading to Philadelphia at the end of May for a conference uh, at NAFSA in Philadelphia. And um, Sean is... Uh, chairing a session on global learning and 
focused on resilience paradigm instead of sustainability paradigm and thinking about how do we sort of share what's happening on a more global scale to really inform our students more appropriately and sort of more deeply on on some of those global issues and climate change being a really great example of how we can do that. So I can invite you on the panel just based on you guys them presenting in your Oh, I love making connections. I love it. It was a good one. He, I think he, he had positive things to say and that's great. That's awesome. And you know, you got some world-class experts there. You know, if if you listen to that, you did, um, they're just all over the world doing this amazing stuff. And so I'm so happy that you're, you guys got to hear from them because it is a treat to hear what some of these groups are doing around the world. Yeah, I think my students were really excited to hear that there were all of these sort of extensions of what WWF does beyond what they sort of recognized as being WWF's role. I think they thought it was really cool to see how sustainability and social and gender equity and all of these things are built into their programming. And I think they were really excited to hear those sorts of things. Okay. So the next two voices are students from Kate's class who share their perspectives on what happened. Hey, Adapters, I am here with Venusa Ramashankar. Hi, Venusa. Hi there, Doug. How are you? Okay, so are you currently at the University of Waterloo? Yes, yes, I am. Okay, can you give me a little detail? So what year are you? And I mean, are you junior, freshman? How does that work? I'm actually in the third year. The whole junior freshman thing, I think it's more with the American schools, but I would say third year Bachelor of Public Health at Waterloo. Okay, so you're already bashing America. I see how this conversation is <laughs> going to go. You Canadians think you're so superior to us. Uh, all right, so you want to turn this into a hostile conversation. Let's, let's do this. Okay. Completely unintentional. All right, so that's great. And we're, I'm going to ask you some questions here about the podcast. I, I was very excited that you guys got to use my podcast in the classroom, as you can imagine. And so I just want to walk through some questions that I think would be very useful to, to my listeners on the value of podcast. And first off, what was the name of the course that you took that, you know, you did this? It was the Ecological Determinants of Health. Okay, now why did you take this particular or why are you interested in that course? You know, funny enough, it's actually a required course that you are entitled to take, that you that you need to take, really. So all the students that were in that course didn't have much choice in terms of being there, but it was a different course in the sense that it was something that we don't cover a lot in any of other courses. So that I could see that being the tagline of the course, because you have no choice. Um, <laughs> jumping right in, Kate Bishop-Williams was the instructor for this course, and I've been in contact with her and have had some great conversations. And what did you think when you first heard a podcast would be part of your curricula? My first thought really was, this is different, because we def- I can definitely say that any of my other courses have not required reflections on a podcast before. For me, podcasts were something I did on my own time, just like I would read a book. It was like a hobby of mine. So I was pretty excited, actually, to see that we'd be working with a podcast for school. So you listen to a lot of other podcasts. (laughs) I do. Guilty pleasure. Well, you know, you don't. (laughs) I think people's podcasts are almost like these secret things sometimes you share, but without maybe even saying what they are, are, are they more just for entertainment value or do you find yourself listening to you know history and science ones are there like more substantive ones that you listen to i find that with the more entertaining 
podcasts, I just zone out. I cannot, I can't keep my attention, which is ironic considering that they're supposed to be entertaining. So I am more drawn towards the social science, psychology, generally science-based, really. TED Talks, all that good stuff. So substantive podcasts. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm actually the opposite. People always say, oh, do you listen to this climate podcast? I'm like, no, I listen to this <laughs> movie podcast or this pop <laughs> I don't want to listen to a climate podcast if I can avoid it. So, you know, this is a legit, uh, more of just, uh, I'm curious. And I think podcast listeners would be too. How do you listen to podcasts? Do you, I mean, do you have an iPhone? Do you have an Android? What kind of app do you use? Oh, CastBox. It's absolutely amazing. I could talk for days about CastBox. You're able to subscribe to different podcasts and then download them when you're offline and listen to them. Oh no, download them when you are online. And then listen to them when you're offline. And it's just so convenient. It's amazing. And is that an Android or iPhone? Oh, yes. That, that's an Android phone. Phone. Okay. Yeah, just, you know, for podcasters, uh, Android doesn't have a native app. And so you have to download an app. Whereas the iPhone, there's a native app, which actually is a big deal for people finding you. But that's great. You have a an app that you find very useful. And so when you were told, okay, we're going to listen to America Adapts, you would just search for it in that, that particular app. Exactly. And I was pretty excited to see that it was already there. <laughs> yeah, I think all those like apps out there, they just they all use the Apple Podcasts RSS feed. And so anyone that's on Apple Podcasts, it'll show up on, on those pod apps. So I think. All right. We are getting into the weeds here. So this podcast was about the conversation I had with Mark Morano, the famous climate skeptic. Did this conversation with Mark Morano make you think about climate change any differently? Differently. Hmm. Does it mean it's really? trying to change your mind or anything, but did you just think about the issue differently? Yes. I'd say overall, my first my first impression when we were told about what the podcast was generally about, I had went into the podcast thinking, okay, so climate deniers completely resist science or against science. That's what I thought. And it turned out after listening to your podcast, it wasn't so at all. I mean, it's not that they don't acknowledge the fact, for example, that carbon dioxide is such a big contributor to climate change, but it's just the disagreements on the fact that it's the main driver of climate change. Were you concerned at all that you might be influenced when you listen to it? I've had listeners say that they were a bit scared to listen to it, actually. Was that at all a concern? I think part of me went in thinking, oh, maybe I would change my mind. And I was actively <laughs> resisting not changing my mind. I, was, I went in very strong headed. <laughs> well, uh, well, that's good. That, but that's, that's very interesting. Not that I want you to resist new ideas. But the whole point is like, is he the sort of person in the things that he said, capable of changing your mind? And overwhelmingly, people said, no, they all thought he was kind of like this great guy. But they also thought he was a bit crazy. So no, it didn't change their mind. <laughs> You know, at some points when he was speaking, I thought, okay, okay, I can kind of see where he's coming from. But then again, then you would you think back that it's easy to believe what you hear, because as soon as you hear it, sometimes it's just easier to accept it right away. But it's when you actually dig deep and unpack it a little bit, you end up forming your own opinions about it. Okay, that's great. So do you cover climate change in any of your other classes at University of Waterloo? No, definitely not. Not at least not the ones that are required. And do you think listening to the podcast and what you learned from Mark Morano, from Randy Olson, has that made you a better climate change 
communicator? I mean, talking with friends, family, have you, have you felt like you, you understand the issue better? I think it's, I, yes, actually, I would definitely say it's made me a better communicator because, I mean, I think it was mentioned in the podcast as well. When we tend to speak with people that are like-minded and we avoid challenging opinions and just confrontation in general. And I could say that that was me as well. <laughs> but what I, the main thing I learned from this podcast was really debate, you know, a debate's such a powerful tool to engage with other people and start a conversation that you might not have had otherwise. So now when I hear things that I particularly might not agree with, or I've heard differently of in class from professor, I actively make an effort to start a conversation. Fabulous. All right. So compared to other teaching methods, and, I, and I'm thinking in a university setting, webinars and reading textbooks and reading reports and journal articles, what did you think of a podcast as a learning tool? And you could just be, per even though I'm a podcaster, just be perfectly honest. Just how, how did you see it as a sort of a tool? I think my answer might be a little bit biased considering that I absolutely love listening to podcasts. So, I mean, from my perspective, absolutely loved it because, like I said, it's something I do for fun. So the fact that I was going to be doing it for school was great and super exciting. But for someone else who might not have listened to podcasts, I think the fact that there's no visuals that go along with it. For example, you're sitting there with earbuds or listening to it on your speaker might have been a bit more challenging. Okay. Nope. Great answer. There's different ways to learn visual and audio. So this is the last question. Tell me something interesting about the University of Waterloo. Something interesting about the University of Waterloo. Ooh, you know, the goodness, this is not too great reflective on my character. But for me, when I think of Waterloo, I think of studying. And when I think of studying, I think of coffee. And for the Applied Health Sciences building in on campus, we have a Starbucks, and it's one of the most favorite, most loved buildings out of a lot of students, <laughs> even if you're not from the health science faculty, just because there's a Starbucks there. So I think our faculty itself is very well equipped with what we need to study. <laughs> but so but your your example here is the Starbucks within the building. Oh, yes, it's that's the key. OK, so let me just be clear. The thing that is so absolutely unique about the University of Waterloo is you have a Starbucks. Oh, <laughs> that's what you're saying here. Okay, well, when you word it that way, now it makes me want to change my answer. Gosh, I wonder if any other university has a Starbucks. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm super boring. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. You had to give an honest answer, and I think that's what people appreciate the most. Um, well, thank you so much. That was very insightful. As you can, can tell, I am obviously an ambassador for the value of podcasts, but I thought it was great that you guys actually had this opportunity to use one, and it sounds like it was a useful resource for you. Definitely was. All right, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Hey, Adapters, I'm back with the final student at the University of Waterloo. I'm with Rachel DeVito. Hey, Rachel, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> Excellent. What year are you at uh, University of Waterloo? Um, I just finished finished my uh, third year, first semester. And what, what, what are you studying there? I'm studying health studies. What did you think when you first heard a podcast would be part of your course curricula? Um, it's definitely something completely different that we've never done before. So the whole course was kind of built around doing real life 
sort of things and assignments that way. So it's definitely a very interesting assignment. You know, I haven't talked about this with the other students. What really it's it's like a public it's ecolog what's it called again? Ecological determinants of health. Okay, so what what for, in the semester long course, what are some of the other topics that you covered? Yeah, so we first started off with climate change since since it's a huge topic and then we just kind of examined the other ecological impact of climate change and just environmental changes and how they interact with human health. So vector-borne diseases, nutrients in our food, impact of air quality on chronic diseases and stuff like that. Okay. And so how did you approach those other parts of the course? And so climate change, you listen to a podcast or at least a part of it. So was it more traditional learning through textbooks or webinars? How did that work? It was more just lectures and then we would be we had assigned readings that would further examine the impacts of the environment on health no textbook required yeah for the other types like after climate change was introduced um we did assignments such as how policies can be formed to in like involve climate change as well in writing a policy brief on that in response to Health Canada's questions on how to incorporate climate change into health policies. So yeah, there's a little bit of unconventional assignments and learning in that regard. Well, that I'm sure makes it more interesting for you. Mm -hmm, for sure. All right. So the previous students who came on, I, I asked about the use of podcasts in, in the classroom and they were very positive about it. They, they really liked the experience in I'm not trying to be completely self-serving here was just, <laughs> just tell me like, you know, just between you and me and I'll pixelate your voice later. So was there any grumbling on the side? Did, I mean, there was a lot of students in your class. Apparently I think it was like 175. Was mm -hmm. there, you don't have to throw anybody under the bus, but was there <laughs> anyone who's just like, Oh, podcast, that's stupid. Or that's, I can't do that. Was there any sort of grumbling like that? Not that I know of. I'm obviously not friends with 170 people. <laughs> okay, so I'm not right, sure, right. But yeah, from, my own perspective, I was really interested to listen to the podcast, especially because um, on my own time, I love listening to controversial things. So, yeah. <laughs> well, good. So, so you obviously <laughs> listen to a lot of podcasts. Sometimes podcasts, but I mostly read a lot or just listen to dissenting opinions on YouTube. <laughs> so, yeah. Interesting. That's my my Friday night. I'm going to go uh, you know, listen to some uh people that are just contrarians. That sounds fun. <laughs> okay. I want you to walk me through this process because I, I want people to really kind of understand that, you know, how are they using the podcast? Is that, okay, so you got the assignment to listen to the podcast and then you had this as like a written assignment associated with it. So kind of how did you approach that? I mean, was it just pretty clear cut? I mean, how did you do that? Um, it's pretty clear cut. We had just kind of guidelines to hit. So, for example, connecting the podcast to things that we learned in class regarding climate change, as well as since it was a reflection, we are able to kind of have our personal opinion on things that were being said and how it made us feel personally. Yeah. So there's just certain guidelines and just tried to follow it as much as possible. So, yeah. Okay. So you had these gui uh, guidelines already to X, Y, and Z. Because, you know, one page isn't... Uh, that much, I guess, time to get a lot in there, but the guidelines mm -hmm. pretty was easy for you to kind of follow it along. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so what was your single greatest takeaway from listening to the Mark Morano episode? He, I mean, he uh, people know by now from who are listening to this episode is that Mark Morano is a climate change skeptic. But what what was your greatest takeaway? Just that these opinions are out there and they're real, and they can't just be shoved under the rug. You can't just. <sighs> 
like you you don't want to validate them, I guess, but you can't just ignore them because just by looking at polls in America of all the people that are climate change skeptics and knowing that it is a very polarized issue and just the fact that more Republicans, for instance, are climate change skeptics or unsure, that's a huge issue. You can't just not talk about it. And yeah, you need to fight those issues head on, provide evidence, talk to these people. So yeah, that's the main takeaway. Well, I got to read quite a few of the one pagers. Um, uh, Kate asked you guys if they sh- if they could share those. So it was very interesting for me to to read those. And my original intent with getting Mark on was not to debate him. That was absolutely. Yeah. It was more of just like, what are your motivations? And I think that's yeah. the most interesting aspect of a climate skeptic. Because I mean, we don't want to. De- <laughs> the science is clear, but like you said, <laughs> we still have things to learn. So yeah. So I've asked this of the other two. Were you concerned that you? It, it, heading into listening to it, because you knew you're going to be listening to a climate skeptic, just deep down, did you have any concerns that you might actually be influenced by a climate skeptic? Not influenced by changing my mind, but Mark is very charismatic and convincing, right? So he, <laughs> I was scared that he would say he'd have a lot of evidence and provide reasons that I would not be able to argue against myself. So it kind of would this is good, though. It raised a red flag in my own mind of um, he's saying X, Y, Z, and I don't have claims to back up my own reasoning. So I really should do the research myself and have have solid answers to people like this. <laughs> well, well, yeah, was, give yourself a little bit of wiggle room because he, he is a pro. This is what he gets paid for to just stomp mm-hmm. on people on the other side. So don't feel bad right. if, if you don't have all the answers to what he has to say. So I watched the him and Bill Nye and it's just brutal. <laughs> oh, meaning that he runs over Bill, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, right. And so, you know, Mark is wrong when it comes to the fundamentals of science. But when it comes to understanding media and how to present himself, you, you find yourself kind of rooting for him. And you're like, wait, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> so has did this whole process help you become a better climate change communicator? Yeah, it forced me to research a bit more about climate change uh, myself, um, learn more about the evidence itself, as well as just some of the tactics that deniers use and how to kind of combat that. Yeah, so kind of just shed light on the whole polarization issue. And Okay, great. I just got a couple more questions here. So compared to other teaching methods like webinars and lectures and reading articles, how what did you think of the podcast as a learning tool? I think this is what academia kind of needs sometimes. If we're always just reading textbooks and articles that are from scientists and providing evidence, like that obviously provides a very good basis to support our claims and we need to learn those first. But if we're never exposed to dissenting opinions and climate change skeptics, then we're not going to be prepared to deal with these people. We're going to hear their claims and opinions, and we're probably just going to ignore them and say, I don't know, we're just probably might not respond in the best manner. We might respond with anger. And I think we could respond in a better way by just breaking down their claims and being like, here's all your fallacies there. (laughs) Well, I don't think I asked you this. I don't think you mentioned this earlier. Have you used a podcast in any other course at the university? Uh, no, not that I can remember. Okay. Yeah. And just, it, it, you know, back to the original question of just, is it a good resource for learning? I think it remains to be seen. We just have to see if 
more instructors are using podcasts, someone's got to actually measure if you've learned something. So it's good to hear your takeaways from it. But I'm very curious that as people assess learning processes, is the use of a podcast one way that you've actually it, it's penetrated into into your mind? And so that, I think this is going to take some time. All right. Last question. Tell me something interesting about the University of Waterloo. Um. Oh, dear. <laughs> but, OK, I'm going <laughs> to just going to be real. I'm going to say the most interesting thing about you. You Waterloo is our subreddit. It's <laughs> it's fun to go on, and I think it's part of the core community on UW. Take it as you will, but <laughs> I don't know if you browse Reddit, but oh no, that's an awesome answer. You should send me the link. You've got my email. Send me the link, I'll, and I'll glance through that. So no, what an interesting answer. Because the first answer, and I've been razzing her, is she said Starbucks. Um, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, she, no, there's there's. Other universities have like way more Starbucks than than us. I, she was mentioning a specific one in the public health building, and, and, I, and I think she was embarrassed by it, but it was very funny that she mentioned that. So <laughs> definitely, okay, yeah, I'm gonna yeah sum it up as UW subreddit. Check it out for the the memes, etc., and just the geese on campus. Most interesting part. <laughs> All right. Very interesting. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and, and I'm glad you were able to get something out of the podcast. And uh, what, what's next for you once you graduate? What, do, what are you planning to do? Um, not quite sure yet. Either might go into some sort of master's for research or teacher's college, perhaps. So, yeah, pretty open. But Well, great. I hope that you can find what you want to do. But thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Okay, so let's wrap this up with a final conversation with Kate. Hey, Adapters, I am back. I hope you enjoyed listening to those conversations with the students from the University of Waterloo. That was really fun for me. I had a good time. I actually learned a bit and a little bit shocked that that's all they had to say about the University of Waterloo. Kate, If you'll, you'll hear this, but my last question to them was, what – is the most interesting thing about the University of Waterloo, and they were all thrown. It was like a curveball to them. <laughs> so what's up with that? Uh, you know what? I think it's maybe more to do with the Canadian culture than it is to do with their their love for their school. I think all of them love the University of Waterloo, but we tend to be a little bit thrown by comments like that sometimes and trying to toot our own horn, whether it's personally or our institution or anything else, can be a little bit harder for us than it is for uh, <laughs> for some of our international neighbors. Meaning Americans. Americans and others. I think it's just in general, it's something that Canadians just maybe aren't quite as good at as some other uh, some other societies or cultures. And that's both a good thing and a bad thing. I think sometimes we could learn a little bit to, to be a little bit better at that sometimes. I think it's a Commonwealth thing because when I lived in Australia, there's the whole tall poppy syndrome. And I think what you're talking about is a little bit of that. So Venusa, she threw Americans under the bus in some of her answers. And here you are throwing Americans under the bus too. So there's some consistency there. That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> Um, just so you know, eventually I got a couple really good answers out of the students and, but the Venusa, all she could come up with was the Starbucks within the public health building. That was the most interesting thing about University of Waterloo, um, which she, later on she felt a bit bad about. That was all she could come up with. So on that note, I thought we could wrap up our conversation 
about what you did. They really, you'll hear eventually, but they really liked that you did the podcast and it was a great resource for them. And I know we had a, I mean, the first part of this podcast, we had a conversation about why you did a little bit of the history of it. And we wanted to just kind of wrap a few things up. And so first of all, this whole concept about open access regarding open access, why isn't it a bit more mainstream? So I think there's three sort of things that I I sort of focus on when I think about what are some of the struggles or the the difficulties we're having with making open access a, a bigger thing or an easier thing for us to get to. The first is that we think of cost as a barrier for general uh, textbook materials, but the production of open access materials can actually be quite costly and coming up with the funds to get that all started can be quite difficult. So I think that's sort of one barrier to beginning this open access journey. The second is uh, we have this sort of problem with academic ownership, and a lot of people are hesitant to produce materials that their name isn't plastered all over, that doesn't make potentially a new line on their CV, although there's a lot of ways to actually fit open access into our CV. It's just something that we have to sort of reframe a little bit. But I think academic ownership is a really hard concept for for individuals to let go of or to even sort of consider reshaping. Uh, and that becomes a, a major barrier, I think, for open access production. And then the last thing is sort of this priority or desire to create these materials. Even though there is a growing desire and a growing priority to produce open access materials, we have to start with the ones that are going to have the the broadest scope or reach the largest number of people, which often means that the specialized topics like climate change are going to be that much more difficult to produce, to fund, to bring out into that sort of mainstream the way you uh, phrased it earlier. So I think that when we consider things like the cost of production, academic ownership, and the the priority of producing some of these more generic materials, things that fit into like the first year biologies, those sorts of things, I think that's where we're starting to to hit some of those hurdles that we need to get over uh, so that we can produce more open access climate change materials. Okay, so you've talked about open access, but what is OER? So OER is Open Educational Resources, and Open Educational Resources are resources that are produced in an open format still, but they're produced with the intention of being used for education. So open access tends to refer more specifically to open access journals. Open educational resources often don't have the same sort of existing platforms where we can go to seek out those materials. And that becomes a problem for finding what exists in in that open educational uh, space. But they become anything from assignment guidelines all the way through to course outlines that are focused on teaching or the production of course material. Uh, But again, they follow all of those same open principles, that they're editable, that they exist under these Creative Commons licenses, those sorts of things. Okay, so what are some of the things that people could do to overcome these barriers that you just discussed? So I have two ideas that I think are potentially useful for overcoming the the lack of open access and open educational resources for teaching uh, in the climate change space. The first is that I think we should be thinking about ways to use other open materials like podcasts uh, and the conversation that we're having right now that exist within this space, that they're freely available, that they can be used, those sorts of things, but making them fit within an educational space. So we could be doing things like 
for example, creating discussion guidelines, which I think would be a great thing for America Adapts to be doing with their podcast episodes. We could be thinking about putting together a group of maybe three or four people that could do something like this, listen to the podcast and then create discussion guidelines for ways that educators would be more easily equipped to bring these podcast episodes into their classroom. And then the second thing that I think would potentially make a lot of sense would be to be trying to create some of these uh, platforms, the way the journals have the open access journal platforms. If we were able to create some sort of platform for open educational resources that were related to climate change, then we could potentially create a space that people could share more be encouraged to use them more. And we could see, again, more use of open access and open educational resources in teaching about climate change. Well, I those are great ideas. And I especially love the first one, this idea of developing some guidelines after listening to an episode. So how would that work? Would you want to do such a thing? And so if someone like if I have listeners out there who are interested in something like that and using the podcast in their classrooms, would that be something that they could participate in? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be very excited to to try and pursue that idea uh, and looking for something like three or four other people to work with me on that would be fantastic, whether they're educators or uh, interested in pedagogy or just really enjoy listening to the America Adapts podcast and have uh, ideas and, and questions about different episodes that they think we could put together these discussion guidelines. I think that would be great. The idea really that I'm trying to sort of move forward with is that if we had a couple of broad, open-ended questions about each episode, it would be that much easier for a educator or, an, or a professor to say, okay, before class, you're expected to listen to this episode of Podcast X. So let's say America Adapts. And after listening to that, then if it was easier for the educator to start discussions in the classroom, asking open-ended questions that lead to great discussions about the content of the episodes, it would be that much easier for for those educators to hopefully bring a podcast right into their curriculum. Okay. And again, we're talking about America DAPS, and it obviously warms my heart that this would be the focus, but it, it seems like it would be a process that you could replicate. And there's just so many podcasts out there covering so many topics, social science and history, that I would hope that those kind of podcasts could benefit from such a process too. I mean, I, I guess that would be a goal is, is it developing guidelines that are generic enough that you could use for other podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the idea to create these discussion guides is relevant across the spectrum for podcasts. I think that for it to be really useful in a classroom, these uh, discussion guidelines would probably need to be a little bit more specific to each episode so that there was value in the students listening to the podcast episode ahead of time and then bringing that content into a discussion forum in their classroom. But I think that the idea is incredibly transferable and could be replicated at a number of other podcasts, climate-related and otherwise. Okay, so that, that the challenge is on. Uh, listeners out there, if you're involved, as Kate just described, what kind of person that might be interested in this, please reach out to me and I can put you in touch with Kate. Kate, sounds like you could take a leadership role if, if we were to do such a thing. Yeah, I think that'd be great. I'd, I'd be very interested in pursuing that idea. All right. So I can be contacted easily just so you get my email or just through the website or whatever. But please, I, I would love you guys to sort of explore this. And I think uh, I could benefit from just seeing how you guys sort of start using this in, in, in a classroom setting. So, but yeah, that would be actually pretty cool if we could do that. So do you have any other advice for instructors out there on how to integrate podcast into their teaching? Yeah, I mean, I think that the important thing to recognize is 
the, the discussion that we've been having about this assignment has been a very formal use of a podcast in a classroom, but I don't think that it necessarily has to be such a big undertaking. I developed an assignment outline around this podcast episode, but I think especially if we pursue this idea of discussion guidelines, it would be easy to integrate podcasts into your pre-class reading materials or preparation materials. And I think that's a great way to sort of just dip your toe in for educators that are excited about the idea, but just not quite ready to to dive in uh, and start designing assignments around it. And then there's other ways to integrate into assignments that don't necessarily have to be, again, quite as formal as this reflection assignment was. I think something like including it in a reading list for an annotated bibliography would be a great way to do that, because all you've got to do is listen to the podcast ahead of time, make sure that it fits within the space of your course or your annotated bibliography assignment. And it would be quite easy to then add that citation to the list and expect your students to listen to it and just write a few sentences or a few paragraphs about it instead. Well, I'm going to have some more opportunities for people to kind of step up to do to do these things. And I'll remind people on, on future podcasts, too. But I just think that's a very excellent idea. And, and I hope we could do something here. And so any final thoughts as we kind of wrap up? I appreciate, again, what you did with your course. Very innovative work. What came out from the students I'd asked, had they ever heard of using a podcast before in, in the classroom? And I even asked them that. How did you get value out of it and how did you compare it with other learning tools? And they, you know, they gave their own opinion on how the podcast fit into it. And it, it was very interesting to kind of hear how it was a valuable uh, resource. And so, yeah, any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think this has been a great learning opportunity for me, not just for the students. I mean, I can't imagine that something so seemingly so simple became something so powerful as a learning tool for my students to see the reflection and the growth. Uh, from their early uh, statements and into the end of the course and seeing that growth uh, and even some changed perspectives from students. I think that was great. Uh, Really, I just enjoyed the process. It was great to connect with you and the networks that uh, that I've sort of built through connections with you over that time as well. I'm uh, very excited to see how well this has worked out and hoping that Uh, Not only will I be able to continue with some ideas that sort of follow along this line, but hopefully we'll be able to start something like those discussion guidelines and make it easier for educators all over the world to be able to integrate those materials into their teaching. So it's been a great learning opportunity for me as well. Well, yeah, thanks again. I I really appreciate you reaching out to me originally. And as a podcaster, we we like to know how you're influencing folks out there. And yeah, this has been a very uh, fruitful <laughs> conversation for me too. So I, I appreciate it. And I, so what's next for you? you, you you're, you're finished with that course, but uh, what's next? What's the near term for you? I have uh, a little less than a year to go on finishing my doctorate. So that's sort of main priority for me right now. And I'm headed to the NASA Global Learning uh, Colloquium in Philadelphia in May to talk about resilience paradigm and teaching students about climate change with a solutions-oriented focus. Okay. Well, great. Thanks again for coming on. And I'm sure we'll be in touch going forward. I'm sure you'll have plenty of ideas that you'll share even as you're finishing up your PhD. But thanks again. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Okay, adapters, that is a wrap. Thanks to Kate. Vanusa and Rachel, what awesome conversations. I'm very excited by Kate and the work she's done and is planning to do. And I hope others are inspired to take a chance on learning resources they provide to their students and to their fellow employees. Some final housekeeping. Don't forget to join the Facebook page and the Facebook community group. The group is private, but just search for America Adapts and ask to join and I'll prove you why to it. 
and I will approve you right away. It's a chance to hear insider info on the podcast and to see what other listeners are sharing on the wall. Some great conversations have come out of that group. Also, I love hearing from you. I truly, truly mean this. Just say hi, or if you have an idea for a guest, let me know. Seriously, it is the highlight of my week hearing from you, and sometimes it leads to some really cool things. I am at americadaps at gmail.com. Send me an email. Okay, check out the website at americadaps.org. All this information is in my show notes, especially that link to the donate page. Okay, adapters, keep up the great work. I'll see you next time.